0: This is the teachable soul podcast, because we cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves. Let's take a few moments to learn from the mistakes of others. The teachable soul podcast, where guests and listeners like you share stories of failure and teachable moments on the journey to success. Here's your host,
1: Kat Daniels.
0: Hello again, lovely listeners, and welcome back to the teachable soul podcast. I am your host, Kat Daniels, and today with me, I have Mr. Devin Halliday, who spent nearly 20 years leading people and delivering award-winning results in a Fortune 15 technology company. That's 15, not like 1,500 or anything. He has (laughs) now started a new and fulfilling chapter as founder and chief belonging architect of Rudiment Solutions, which is a people empowerment company and as the CEO of Ally Cooperative. He is able to extend that mission to impact true social change in the area of allyship through this new chapter. He has also enabled himself to bring a lifetime's worth of inspiration and influence to those looking to achieve more. He is also the author of the Belonging Factor and host of the Belonging Factor podcast. He believes that people are the core rudiment of any successful behavior or endeavor, I'm sorry. Through dynamic leadership and people-focused processes, he helps others quickly identify opportunities and challenges, create effective strategies, and engage teams to exceed expectations. Welcome, Devin, and thank you for joining me today. I'm so pleased to finally have this conversation with you.
1: Yeah. Hey, it's great to be here. I really appreciate it, Kat. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. So we wanted to talk about an array of things. Can you, can you just kind of start out by telling us your story? Like, how, how did you get started with the the Fortune 15 technology company, how did that go?
1: Yeah, so like a lot of things, saying yes to opportunities is one of those things I tend to teach people, um, not, not turn down an opportunity, wherever that presents itself. So I had just gotten out of the Navy, where uh, I had the incredible fortune to serve overseas and have some really great experiences, learn a lot about myself, leadership, and in a in a conventional military sense, right, hierarchical style leadership, and I got out of the Navy, and you know, okay, what do I do now? And a friend of mine worked for uh, this this cell phone company that no longer exists, and he said, "Hey, If you're looking for a job, we're hiring. I I, I know that this isn't necessarily your thing, but give it a shot. And so I said, all right, let's do it. And I interviewed for a sales position and I'd never sold anything in my life except for maybe my teachers on helping me out with a grade or something, right? And uh, or my parents on getting that extra hour on my curfew. And so so I wasn't offered a sales position, but I was offered like a, a kind of a service level position customer service level position? And I said yes. And that, uh, even though it was a temporary you know, holiday job, and that parlayed itself into a career that built into leadership, uh, working all over the country for um, the organization and developing a real understanding of what it meant to be a leader of people as opposed to just a manager of results, which ultimately the job more asked for management of results, but that was the least effective way to get there. So I failed a lot. I, I learned a lot throughout that development period and development uh, of my leadership identity, as well as uh, about myself and and you know who I am and what my values are. So when you fast forward after almost two decades there do, doing that work, it really became evident to me that the places I find most rewarding and fulfilling and have the most passion about personally also happen to be things that tend to be learned from the lessons that I've acquired in my life particularly in leadership and how I could go apply those into other organizations that maybe don't have the budget for a full you know full program internally but they have a deep need and interest in what it means to create a sense of belonging, a workplace where people have trust and value alignment. And so that's really what led me to that place. And being able to do that is building off all all of those lessons and creating that, that opportunity for others to learn from those.
0: Which is just good culture, good company culture. Yeah. Yeah, which is super important. And I think that we're, I think corporations are definitely learning how important it really is and that, you know, the long-term game is equivalent to long-term success.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. And, and, you know, so part of that became also understanding that there's this privilege that does exist when a person is in the same condition I am, which is a cisgender straight white male, right? Kind of the epitome of typical societal privilege, having access to things just because of things that were no choice of mine. I just happened to, to have them from birth. And, right. uh, and so, so that was where Ally came in as Ally Cooperative, as kind of an extension of the work that's being done in the corporate space to help create that sense of belonging in those environments and cultures that really allow people to be empowered and thrive. But now an arm to go help do that and raise awareness and consciousness around the importance of allyship in communities and helping in communities, regardless of where any of the, the folks we're interacting with work or spend their time. So kind of a a two-pronged thing here. Chewing off a lot, but man, it feels like it is the most hard and difficult work I've ever done, but it is certainly the most rewarding that I've ever come across. So it's great to be able to find that, I think, is the most important takeaway here. It's great to be able to find that thing that you can apply, and if you do it right, you're applying a lot of lessons you learned along the way to help others.
0: And yeah, you mentioned Learning a lot you know about yourself and, and about leadership in the meantime and, and kind of failing, can you tell us of an example of what failure happened that you know led you to realize you know something great and different about what you're doing now basically sure
1: yeah in in two decades there are, there are certainly a ton of stories i could uh, I could pick from, I suppose, but maybe, maybe we'll yeah I mean, <laughs> maybe we'll we'll start here. This was very, very early in in my role as a leader of people. In fact, it was my first job as a leader of people. And what was really interesting about the situation, I worked with all of the, the folks I was now managing. I worked with them as a peer for like six years, and became their manager. And you know, I had all these ideas, things that we had talked about, you know as a group of the frontline folks, of the, wouldn't it be great if things were X, Y, Z? Well, I had all these ideas when I got this job that I was going to put stuff in place. And I made a lot of unilateral decisions. And about six months in, we had performance that was lacking. Uh, we had compliance you know, challenges and issues that were causing more time to have to, you know, and frustration to have to remedy. And I was still charging really hard at kind of my uh, almost authoritarian you know, approach, which was just terrible, terrible approach. But I, I really didn't know better. Um, I was kind of drawing on my military leadership uh, experience and background, right? So right. very hierarchical. And one of my employees uh, who was brave enough to come share with me, "Hey, listen, you're about to have a mutiny on your hands if you don't make some adjustments to what you're doing and so, so for me, that was that was the first major opportunity where I said, "Okay, I can learn right now and and absorb and be really curious, or I can just continue charging because I got promoted into this position so I know better and uh, And this is you know this is very kind of cliche early manager stuff, but for, for me, this lesson uh, about what happened next really was informative about the rest of my career. So I, I, I went to a mentor of mine and I think that's so important to always make sure that, that anybody has trusted individuals who they can go to for just some really unvarnished feedback. And yeah. so I did and I was given the feedback, hey, you know, sit and, sit, sit and talk and, and be, be genuinely open and transparent and curious and see what happens. And I solicited from the team, all of the things that they felt like both I was doing that was impeding their ability to do their job and the things I wasn't doing that would be giving them the leg up they needed. And I made a commitment at that point to publicly work on all of the pieces of feedback that I was given. And so that, that transparent part, that's, that was the big learning and takeaway here. Cause I failed by you know, by playing my cards too close to the vest, by making decisions unilaterally and not bringing people in the fold. Now, many of the things that, that were happening, we continued doing. I just was very transparent about why or what or involving people in part of the decision-making process. And the reason I say that that was so informative of everything going forward is per, whether it's personal life or, or it's professional life, that showing up authentically and, and being transparent, particularly when you lead people who are filling in gaps you know they're making assumptions if you if you don't explicitly share things it it eliminates those and so that became probably the the single most teachable point that i carried every time i was developing and building new leaders throughout my career was to ensure that that element existed there because really we we were on the brink of a catastrophe had it not been for a very courageous employee to to say hey you got to do something different and then of course the decision to I don't know, to to decide to listen is an important one. And so I would say anytime you're getting feedback, even if it flies in the face of your ego or anything else that that you're holding on to tightly in that moment, man, just be curious. Soak that in and listen.
0: Oh, yeah, that is a huge point. Absolutely. I think that there are a lot of people and I fear for my husband because he is in the army. Um, and he is a lifer, so he's going to retire from the military. And I'm a little bit afraid for him that whenever he gets out of the military and has to go into the civilian world and work, that he's going to kind of experience some of the same things that that you are, is that he's going to be kind of trained to work a certain way, and that works for the military. You know, our our military is one of the most efficient, best militaries in the world, but in the civilian world, when you get out, there with, you know, people who are all different and are not trained the same way and are not brought up the same way. Like, it's not the same. You can't do that.
1: <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, not at all. The, the, the hierarchical nature of the military, it, it's perfect for that scenario. Yes, uh, it, in fact, it, it saves lives by yeah. having that, that system. And I'll tell you, you know, just for your husband, for anybody else who either has transitioned, who's listening out of the military or is going to at some point, First of all, there's tremendous resources available now that weren't 20 years ago uh, right. with, with helping with transitioning. But it is, I mean, no matter what, it is a shock when you ask somebody to do something and they either a say yes and then don't do it, or b say why, right. you know. And it's like whoa, what? What do you mean why? <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> the, the the only appropriate answer is yes, sir, yes, ma'am, you know, etc. It's mm-hmm. it's not uh, it's not this this questioning. And uh, that, man, that that was a tough one because you are very well conditioned that you are being asked to do something and it is now your responsibility to follow through, period.
0: Absolutely. One of the things I tell him that I, one of the reasons I tell him that I would never have been able to join the military because my parents would say that to me when I was growing up, they'd be like, just do it because I said so. And I can't accept that. (laughs) Right. And so I would not have been a very good soldier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up in, in Northern California with, you know, kind of a liberal outlook from my parents who had a very clear message they taught me, which is uh, it's okay to question authority. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that was the mantra that I heard a bunch growing up. And uh, it, uh, let me tell you what, that, that gets erased pretty quick in boot camp.
0: Yeah. It does. <laughs> For sure. But it's a good mantra. Yeah. Yeah. Just not from the military. So we talked a little bit about the, the Ally Cooperative. How did that get started? How, what made you decide to do that?
1: So Ally Cooperative is a lifestyle brand clothing company. And this really came from the genesis of many conversations with people in marginalized communities. My son, who's gay, he, you know, I fear uh, mm. sometimes for his safety. He, he, he goes to school in kind of a, a, a rural Area more conservative part of the state, mm-hmm. and him and his boyfriend are, are in the same school. And um, you know, sometimes I fear for just some of the things that could happen. And based on some of the comments and things that have happened in the past, that there's a chance something could escalate. And much is centered in you know misunderstandings, or centered in a very deep belief system that um, that comes from a place that you know is, is a little bit more difficult to change right and so rather than try to, to to just change people's minds about other people start thinking about yourself and what you can do and so allyship really started to come to the forefront of the conversation and really in the work that we've done in allyship is is really come to understand that it lives predominantly in The LGBTQ community and those who are directly connected to them a little bit in other marginalized communities, but it is not a concept that really has a good foothold or stronghold in kind of pop or normalized culture.
0: And so Mm -hmm. we thought
1: you know, you can't just put the word ally on a shirt and somebody wears it and they go, yay, I'm an ally now, right? That's not right. that's not how allyship works. It's really yeah. about the behaviors that you demonstrate as a, as an ally um, in support of those who are in those marginalized groups. And so, but we thought, you know, there's got to be a way to, to both help elevate the awareness and dialogue of the fact that we all have something that we can offer to others uh, without making it about any one specific group or about any one specific, you know, marginalized category. And so it it really became this idea of how do we involve people who are in those communities to help create designs and make some of the incredible stuff that we offer and then how do we support this community through the funds that we raise through the items that we sell and we we realized really quickly we can actually donate 100% of our profits out of this and still be able to run and grow this business and we donate those profits right back into local community organizations who support veterans transitioning who support autism awareness and autism development programs who support the local communities of people of color who have been marginalized or people in the lgbtq community
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and so they they have the infrastructure and systems to be able to do this so it was really about how can we both elevate the conversation and be able to to give meaningful support back directly Absolutely. into those communities and really that that was kind of where this whole thing was born out of because I don't want to have to fear. And if at the very least, maybe you don't become an ally, but you have awareness of the fact that, you know, it's, it's all right. It's all right. That things are different and I'm, I have my belief system and you've got yours and it's all good Mm. or even better. Maybe you do go, Oh, you know what? I can do something. I I can do that little extra thing. And so that was really kind of the the genesis of it is to eliminate that fear through education, through awareness and through creating something that people are proud to be part of.
0: And I love the logo of it and everything. That's so beautiful. I love oh, it. Oh, thanks. So, um, and that's fantastic. I thought that ally cooperative was just for LGBTQ for some reason, but I didn't realize that you guys were donating it to all these other different organizations and those are important to be allies of as well. You're, I mean, that's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Thanks. It's uh you know, it's a new, Uh, endeavor it's a new way to to go about this allyship i've learned is kind of messy so here's a lesson for you okay Uh, as the point we're getting ready to kind of launch this out i reached out into a couple local communities here Uh, one of them a local lgbtq community uh, in pittsburgh and kind of introduced more broadly into that community you know what we're doing what we're about and asked if anybody was interested if, if you would like to contribute into the blog to share your stories, to help bring awareness to others, you know, we'd love to, love to feature it. Mm-hmm. And the, the overwhelming response by introducing via a, like a post into a Facebook group was, it was overwhelmingly negative. It was overwhelmingly a response with the comments of, you know, who are, who are you white guy coming in here, trying to, to marginalize us further or make money off of, um, mm. Our our marginalization. So clearly, what I immediately learned out of it is a kind of text post introduction into a a group is really ineffective. Even though there's a link that goes straight to the the page that tells you all about the fact that we aren't making money on this thing. It's right. really about uh, supporting these communities. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it was it was like, okay, gosh. Um, you know, my son was upset, super upset, my, because he's like, man, you know, we're trying to help.
0: Right. Of why, why, why is
1: everybody getting all mad and upset and saying, you have to pay us if you want us to write a word and blah, 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 all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the, the curiosity bug. So I, I actually directly reached back to some of the folks who left some of the more, um, you know, specific comments mm-hmm. and set up meetings and sat down and had coffee, uh, chatted, learned, took a lot of notes and had a chance to both build a relationship with some new folks, as well as to learn. Uh, some different perspectives that we didn't have within the group that was founding Allah, And so it was incredibly invaluable. And while we have a diverse group and diverse backgrounds who are involved in all the decisions along the way, everybody experiences life and situations differently. And the fact that it was kind of so overwhelming in this one community certainly said, there's something to learn here, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And so what I would tell you the, big, the biggest lesson is that sometimes things are messy, particularly as it relates to allyship. Uh, if you're in a workplace and, and sometimes you, you think, man, I don't want to rock the boat. But sometimes the boat's got to rock because once you get water on the inside of it, you, you really realize how great the, the boat situation is and there, there's a, maybe one or two little small tweaks you can make and keep it from rocking over all the way uh, right. rather rather than just assume that you're going to make it all the way through uh, and then an, a little splash comes in, in your toast right and so that that's the thing this was a splash this wasn't a big wave it felt like a wave at first yeah I really, right. <laughs> what are you doing white guy why are you why are you coming and trying to do this to us right. that's what you know it felt like at first but but yet you know sometimes you have to realize that disruption can be a little bit messy And Mm -hmm. that's where that transparency and curiosity and willingness to be a learner throughout the Mm -hmm. process is so important.
0: And that is a fantastic point. You know, we all know that hurt people, hurt people type thing. Yep. But trust is a huge factor, especially in communities like that where they already, you know, they're they're facing their own fears, you know, and they're they're very fearful of people taking advantage of them, like you experienced of people trying to you know, just come in and not really acknowledge who they are or what they're about. They're just there to to take advantage. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I can completely understand how they came with that, but I love what you're saying. You're exactly right. You should approach the situation with curiosity. That is a fantastic point. I usually say that you should approach someone, like if someone gets angry with you, um, you should approach them from a place of love and understanding, but Mm -hmm. um, that translates into curiosity. Like you have to find out why they're angry. And it oftentimes isn't necessarily at you. You have to find out like the root cause of the anger, <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that is a fantastic point. And I'm sure that you deal with that all the time with your Rudiment Solutions company as well, where you know, you're you're teaching people to lead probably in that way, correct?
1: Oh yeah, with, without question. You know, the mission unlock and develop the potential so people can do more in the world. And that's that's the mission that we bring at Rudiment. And a big part of that is there, there is no master unlock key, right? And so each individual and each community in some cases, so whether that's a work group or maybe it's a church community or a sports team, you know, each individual kind of community or group also has its own set of dynamics going on. And so anytime that you're affecting any kind of change, uh, while it is ground zero starting point for your interaction with me, um, I have to remember that it's not ground zero For you everybody comes with their own experiences lived experiences everybody comes with their own preconceptions of of what you know maybe is going on and so that's that it's such an incredible incredible moment i think to have clarity before you go into any situation that uh whoever you are is that somebody's coming with i hate the word baggage they're coming with their own lived experiences into any interaction and so being aware that uh, your baseline of zero with them and their baseline of zero with you, mean, you both still are coming with something into that conversation, into that interaction and dialogue. And so it's difficult to just assume that we can start with a blank slate, but that's often what people do in new situations. It's kind of blank slate, which becomes that that master key, if you will, that one size fits all. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's so important to just remember that, that while there are best practices, while there are things that generally work well when applied and, and executed well, we all have that individual piece that either motivates us or demotivates us or gets it to click, whatever that thing is. And so that's where the curiosity is just so, so, so important for anybody, uh, leadership especially.
0: I, I want to talk about a couple of things. So you said the the mental health impact of a horrible boss and the grief and the real impact it has on decision-making. And I think that Grief can sometimes come, like, it's not just about, like, people passing away or loss necessarily. Grief can come from a lot of different aspects and different things that are happening in your life. So I think those can kind of tie in together. Do you, what? Absolutely. Yeah. So what uh, what did you learn about the mental health impact of having a horrible boss? Or was was it that you realized that you were having a mental impact? <laughs>
1: else <laughs> uh maybe both uh maybe both so you know what's interesting so my story I, i've never shared this story publicly so this will be a first here for you and the listeners so this was when i was still in, in my fortune 15 company and i had worked for literally the the most comprehensively incredible leader ever prior to this transition so you know the bar was pretty high uh this was a person who who you know was was challenging in all the right ways was supportive in all the right ways, um, wow. knew, knew when to be hands-off and knew when to, to really, you know, lay the screws in. And, you know, so it wasn't just this kumbaya campfire type boss, um, but, you know, I'm talking about a, a a truly dynamic leader. And so the transition out to a new boss was always going to be a little bit tough, right? It's always tough when you when you have that caliber of person that you work for that you respect and trust. So right about the time that that happened, uh, that that transition was happening, as a matter of fact, at the exact kind of gap between the, having the old boss and the new boss, my childhood home burned down in California in the wildfires. So my parents lost their home is really the, the big takeaway there, not just their home, but everything, you know, our entire family, everything, family, Bible family, everything. And so, you know, on one hand, it's just stuff, but on the other hand, you know, my parents had been there forever. They, you know, that was their place they were going to retire the whole thing. It was my childhood home. I, I, I had to leave. I, had to, I flew out to California from Pennsylvania and spent time getting them set up and dealing with the trauma support for them. Also yeah. having a sense of it myself. And so you talk about grief, not necessarily having to be about you know, the loss of a person, it's true, mm-hmm. right? That, that was a that was first set of grief. Well, you know, I, I was being hero. I was being strong person, the, the strong son. And so I wasn't processing any grief whatsoever. And I think what's important to kind of note about this is that was the also uh, just a few weeks after the one year anniversary of both the passing of my ex-wife via suicide and a employee who worked for me via suicide just a few days apart from each other.
0: Oh my
1: gosh. Yeah. And so I was, I was the strong person for, for, you know, all my employees throughout that whole process. And I don't know that I, you know, ever really properly processed either one of their deaths. And so now we're, you know, we're starting to build a pattern right around this time of year. Well, fast forward from, from there now, another year, almost to the exact date from the fires. I'm back at work. I, I've got this new boss that I've worked for for now, close to a year, and um, a person who has openly accused me of writing things in public, like on public forums, um, that are negative about her. When I, I wasn't even aware of of these things, but mm-hmm. you know, so somehow she did. She thought she deduced that, accused me of it. That really put a really bad taste in my mouth. Every conversation we had was about you know what was going wrong in the business and what I was doing about it, rather than any other type of conversation. And yeah. so, you know, it was one of those really kind of just I, I can keep my head down and, and ride this out. Well, we got to that next year mark. And my father passed away suddenly of a heart attack, almost exactly a year to to the date from the fires. And so now I'm back in California with my mom and I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about you know i've i my my employees have recently been asking me what's wrong, telling me that they feel like i'm I'm not the same me that i'm I'm not as engaged in their people and more just in the results and you know things that just were not naturally part of the way they've experienced me as a leader i have I've got my son telling me <laughs> that things are just you know that i'm i'm being short tempered I've got my wife telling me that she doesn't you know, recognize me when I get home from work, all of this stuff going on. And then I fly back to California to be with my mom during this time. And I'm now sitting in what I definitely would consider some mental health kind of crises, not having processed grief of loss, now facing another grief of loss, still trying to now be the strong person for my mom, but now really just going, man, I can't, I can't anymore. I can't. And so what was really interesting is when we talk about the horrible boss and the effect of mental health, I started doubting myself, like seriously doubting myself over that year, my ability to do my job. And then that started showing up in a change of behaviors. My my employees were giving me feedback, but then it started affecting me at home. And, you know, looking back and after seeking professional support and, and insights, it was depression that was setting in. It was mental health. Full on depression that was setting in, but I was, you know, continuing to just charge through and power through, and, and figured oh, it was just a bad day. It's a bad week. Oh, this is a bad year, right? Any excuse that that we might tell ourselves. Oh man, what happened was, and this is the decision making part. <laughs> I, I made the decision to leave while I was in California. Um, I set up with my my human resources. We got everything all sorted out, and uh, and I never came back. While that has been the most rewarding decision personally uh, and professionally. For me, yeah. in that moment, it felt like I was just kind of, yeah, I, I don't know that I did it out of the most deliberate and, you know, kind of thoughtful intention. It was, I'm done. I just need to get rid of everything, everything mm-hmm. toxic, everything, you name it. Uh, I, you know, there's so much I just need to, to start fresh. Well, <laughs> remember Little. what I said about starting mm-hmm. fresh? Yeah. <laughs> experiences we bring with us. There's really no such thing, but it's about the mental attitude, it's about the mental health and the dealing with really important things first um, rather than having all of those important things that aren't dealt with show up in and reflect in how I was dealing with other situations. What I can say is, you know, I certainly learned that, you know, worst boss ever, you know probably not worst boss ever but certainly a person who there was no trust there was no sense of belonging there was no aligned values there was very little dialogue and then what that does to to creating that doubt and then the effects that that doubt or that that lack of you know self confidence has in behaviors was super evident and then mirror that now with grief and loss and kind of those tragic circumstances and you have a recipe for anybody i think to potentially make some really tough decisions and i share this because it's like it's real and and i'm not the only person who's lived that type of trauma and experience. In fact, people in marginalized communities live those types of traumas far more frequently than I did. And so again, it was just continuing to serve this idea that taking all of the lessons, taking all of the strengths and successes and turning those into a way to help others had to be the next part of the journey and the next step. But that clarity, that clarity came you know, months after I made that decision, that rash decision to, to just cut it all off.
0: No, that is such a fantastic story. I love. I mean, it's a horrible story, but I.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I understand.
0: <laughs> it's important. So I mean, it sounds like you were you were working at this company and everything was going super well, and so you were probably in this confident place with yourself, and then you know, just things kind of started piling on top of you. And, and that happens to so many people, even. There's people who start out not necessarily as confident in who they are in themselves, and then they, you know, later on go through something traumatic and, and figure it out. But then there's also people who, who are confident in themselves, but go through a multitude of, of traumatic things, either don't deal with it or don't know how to deal with it, and then, you know, have to cleanse basically everything in their life in order to figure out who they are again, you know, and that happens sometimes.
1: And yeah, it, it was a good time for, you know, what I, I hopefully consider my midlife crisis, right? It was a good time <laughs> for it, no doubt at, how old was I, 39? Somewhere in that neighborhood, Yeah, you know, it just seemed like a good time for it because there's a lot of, a lot of recovery, a lot of rebound time for making any um, yeah. you know, potential bad decisions during that time. What I'll tell you, a learning, though, a real true learning out of this is mental health is still the most stigmatized oh, man. condition on the planet, in, in our culture, at least. It's Absolutely. the most stigmatized condition. And it's because a few things. There's kind of that machismo about, you know, I'm stronger than whatever I'm feeling. It's just emotions, you know, put them away. Right. right but also you know if somebody has a broken arm you know what's wrong with them you see the cast on their arm and you go oh okay your arm's broken all right well got it i'm not gonna you know come up and punch you in the arm
0: right. uh,
1: but if you are struggling with any kind of mental health uh, needs there is there's no cast there's no bandage there's no neon sign that says hey listen you know i've got a thing and so you know mm-hmm. don't 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 do this. And so that's one part of it. But the other part of it is that there's there's still the stigma that it is a weakness that it is is somehow makes you um, less effective or less able to Mm -hmm. to do things. And the simple truth is that that is. A fallacy that that is that is completely wrong. And so I, you know, everybody listening, I'm sure you're not in your head because you, you got it and understand it. But here's where the greatest effect is: is not in how others may treat you or behave towards you if you are open, mm-hmm. but it's personally, individually, in deciding to just you know power through, or to ignore things, or to just write them off as a bad day. That is. So damaging. In fact, it's, it's more damaging than than what I learned. It was more damaging for me to, you know, to not be hyper aware of what was going on and, and instead make these excuses than it was when I shared with people and certainly had some folks say, oh, yeah, I, I knew there was always a screw loose with you. You know, right. so, so, some some old statement like that. You know what? That yeah. doesn't hurt when you're honest about it and you're open about it with yourself, and you can involve others. And right. you know, I would tell you that you know that I don't know the science behind what I'm about to say, but I will tell you that my um, my observation is that there are so so many people in our society living with untreated uh, mental health conditions oh, yeah. mm-hmm. that could easily easily be adjusted with counseling therapy, mm-hmm. and and you know maybe maybe pharmacology, but really just being able to to have some perspective and talk. And that's why I say being curious and learning about others is so valuable because um, it, it avoids a lot of assumptions. It avoids a lot of mistakes and it empowers people because they understand that they're heard.
0: Oh, absolutely. I have a couple of friends, actually, now that you're mentioning it, that I should probably talk to on here because they just have horror stories of not being accepted, when they're not even having mental health issues, just when they speak about their feelings and thoughts that they're having. You know, we, we need to be more open to listening when people are just trying to tell us how they feel and not just be like, oh, well, it's just a bad day, you'll get over it, or, you know, something to that effect. You know, that's something that I used to tell myself is just to get over it. I learned luckily that if you don't deal with it, that you can't get over it, you can push it aside for as long as you want, but it's going to keep popping up to keep dealing with it even longer than if you just learned about it and dealt with it and then moved on with it instead of trying to, you know, get rid of it basically. Because I mean, your experiences become part of who you are, whether you like them or not. But to acknowledge, you know, that you have these experiences or that you have these feelings. Or thoughts, or whatever the case may be, and moving on with them and working with them instead of against them your whole life, it'll just make for a happier, better you.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Own it, embrace what you can out of it, and work on the the other parts. It's okay. It's preferable, I would say, yes. to not be the cookie cutter like everybody else. You know, to absolutely. not be the stepford version of your own self.
0: So that sounds like you kind of lost it all. You, you know, you mentioned also losing it all and rebuilding from the ashes. So what happened after that point, whenever you quit your job and, and you moved back to California? Is that
1: what you said? No, no. Yeah. I was just back there to to help my mom get sense started of her, her life as an individual person, right. you know, 40 some years of identifying as a spouse. You know longer in her life identifying as a spouse than a, identifying as a as an individual right and right. so so yeah, it was like a month or or two out there and then um and back to Pennsylvania but you know where so where from there that was where like I said it was a few months after kind of you know b- breaking everything right. um, with the exception of my family that's the core that's that's the the center that never breaks right and so yeah. you know a few months of of really just kind of sitting in evaluation in understanding of speaking with others who can offer insights and uh, outside perspectives, others who have maybe been in similar trauma situations, whether it was around suicide or you know, great loss or just kind of back-to-back-to-back traumas. And, uh, and learning from these people really helped gave, gave perspective for me to be able to then go, all right, so I, I'm clear on my values. I'm clear on what, from a, a, a life perspective, I need to be involved in for those values to be met, fulfilled, and, and advanced. And then from a career perspective, that was really where the nuts and bolts started coming together of both writing the book, Belonging Factor, mm-hmm. and building the consulting business and really being very clear and very specific mm-hmm. about what that was going to look like. Like I said earlier, it's been the hardest, most difficult work ever uh, in my life in doing that. But I've never been more fulfilled, uh, more personally you know, rewarded in the time. And there, there's struggles in the time, right? Anytime you leave this great job that you've had forever and you're building something entrepreneurial, something new, there's struggles. But man, we face those struggles in such a greater way, a better way as it for me as an individual and as a family than even the smallest setbacks. Like, you know, in my prior career, if I got an email today at noon that said I have to be on a plane tonight to head to this meeting tomorrow you know we would all kind of lose our minds here in the family and, oh this is ridiculous you need more advanced notice than that you know we we'd create this big issue out of this really you know yeah we had to change some plans yeah we had to adjust some some school activity stuff but you know what? it's fine that you but that was what we considered a struggle and got up in arms about you know two years ago. And fast forward now, and you really start to to learn and see and grow and understand together around those people that love you and you love the most when you mm-hmm. face some of these things yourself. And so what I would tell you is everything has gotten stronger, tighter, better when it comes to that sense of belonging, that sense of personal identity, how values apply into the world. All of that has grown and gotten stronger. And you know, there's a, a person I met along this journey, um, right about that that kind of transition time. His name's Bobby Herrera. He's the CEO of a company called Populus Group, and he wrote a book called The Gift of Struggle. And um, it's a it's an easy read. It's a short read, conveyed through stories, uh, his personal stories of struggle throughout his life and his his career, and kind of the application of those and what has grown as a result of it. It's a really great book, and um, and so I had the chance to meet and talk with Bobby, and that to me was probably one of the most pivotal um, and inspirational conversations, you know, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then back and forth a few times, uh, you know, had him read my book, you know, the manuscript prior to publishing and, and got some of his insights there, but just his ability to, um, to really convey that the struggle is a gift. And what you do and what you learn from and how you apply that gift is, is the part that is up to each individual. And so, man, I, in fact, you got to have him on your show.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say I really want to interview him.
1: <laughs> yeah, you you got to call Bobby Herrera. Yeah, he's got to be on. He, he's he's a difference maker in the people that he touches every day in his business. Just so speaking personally, he, he's a, a difference maker for me. And I bet you he doesn't even know this. I should tell him.
0: You should.
1: I should tell him. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the book, The Gift of Struggle. I haven't read it, but I recently have, have just kind of figured out That, you know, we get stronger in our times of struggle and have kind of figured out that it's really those horrible times that we think of as horrible times or struggling times. And, oh, why did this bad thing happen? I don't understand why this bad thing happened. You know, and even, you know, when bad things happen, people are all like, then they go against like God or their religion or Mm -hmm. whomever, like because they're angry and hurt. But then, you know, I have realized after coming out the other side of these things that, you know, it's really because I went through that, that I am the person that I am now. If I hadn't have gone through that, if we never struggled, we would all be just empty pretty much, you know, we wouldn't be who we are. We wouldn't have stories. We wouldn't have those things in our life that, that led us to the great life that we have now.
1: I could not agree with you more on that one, Kat. And I think the, the small little nuance to that is one of the things I learned in that time period, um, was that being a person who has some unearned privileges that I, I mentioned before, just in how I was born.
0: Same. Yeah.
1: I have access to some opportunities that other people who face similar or even worse struggles who are part of marginalized communities, they don't have access to those same opportunities always to pull themselves up or to, to apply their learning. And so it becomes a bit of a battle of continued struggle and you know, that the marginalized could, just be, you know, you don't have to think maybe um, a community of color, but could just be women in the workforce, right? Still a marginalized group in many workforces uh, in this country, even though we're in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's still a thing. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about the ability to, to do that learning and to do that soul searching and then apply it and make something great come out of it, I, I think it's also important to ma- maintain that perspective that not everybody has the access to the same opportunities to do that second part. And so if you are a person who, who has some of that opportunity to extend some of that allyship, man, it goes so far. You have no idea how, how far offering to introduce someone who's been looking for a job for a year, offering to introduce them to somebody in your network and then making a personal introduction, how far that can go. It can go so far. And it's so important to uh, to this journey if we're going to do it together as people as opposed to individually.
0: So I guess at the BAFTA Awards, which is the the British Film Awards, there were absolutely not a single person of color that was nominated, not even nominated for any of the awards. And so Russell Crowe got up and as part of his speech kind of stated that, you know, it, it's the people who have the privileges, responsibility to change The way that the system is now, and so yeah, that's exactly what you're saying. It's it's kind of our responsibility as the people who have these privileges to change the way that it's done, Um, and so we have to take responsibility for that and and be the change in the world that needs to happen.
1: Yeah, and one of the most common you know pieces of pushback I get, and it's a total myth, is well, if I do that, that makes my chances of getting you know nominated slimmer because then there's some affirmative action type you know element to making sure we have representation across all these groups mm-hmm. and here's what i would tell you you know whether it's you know art in the form of movie making or um it's a career or it's a community group you know wherever you are at in your life by extending that allyship and privilege to others while it may make your individual slice by proportion a little smaller instead of 20 percent, maybe 15 percent of the pie the whole pie gets bigger the whole thing the whole thing gets bigger, so you're you're fifteen percent instead of twenty percent. It's a bigger piece now, yeah. later. And so really, you know togetherness is greater than otherness. That is the exactly. the kind of the mantra that that we operate on at Ally Cooperative. So whatever we can do to look for those opportunities to to do it together rather and than fun. than make it about the other. Uh, and there's so there's there's so many ways that that shows up in our society whether it's in in politics or it's in standing in line at Starbucks there, there's just so many ways that that shows up small and big
0: yeah i was speaking with someone recently and i kind of had an epiphany that that it's us against the world and and we kind of have to deal with things on our own and things like that is i think ingrained in us like from a seriously young age i think it starts even with as as little things as you know making your baby sleep in their own bed. And if they, you know, cry, then using the cry out method, you know, you're, you're teaching them that they are on their own and that they have to learn to deal with their emotions and deal with their things on their own. Um, And that's not really what we actually want. And that's certainly not really what we actually need. (laughs) And there's definitely, you know, room for everybody at the table um, is what I say. And everybody definitely deserves a chance because we're all a human species, and it's not about you know the color of your skin or what you identify as or who you are. It just is about you know collectively joining together for the the betterment of the greater good, essentially.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, and and I I fully respect a person's views if they absolutely if if, if they don't believe that um you know gender identity decisions should be made by children. Uh, okay, that's your belief system. Sure, yeah, no no worries. You know, I, I have my own personal thoughts about that or, or many other topics. However, what I find to be troubling is when we then exclude people because of that, rather yes. than be inclusive of them just because they're people, just because they're our fellow human. Just be inclusive. I, I probably don't agree with, you know, the ideologies of you know, 70% of the people who live in my community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we probably have completely different ideologies. That's fine. We live together just fine. We get along just fine. So when we come across or faced with one of those opportunities where there's something that is challenging to our belief system, that doesn't mean that the person is any less human or deserves any less of the same, you know, attention or curiosity that we would apply to anyone else.
0: Respect is a huge word there. Um, I just recently heard someone say that, you know, we all deserve respect as human beings and that should be across the board. But it made me think of when I was in high school, one of my friends in high school, we were young. Um, was telling me that she didn't believe that the teacher deserved her respect just because she's a teacher, that respect had to be earned. And that's what we're taught. And that was what I was taught. I was like, well, you know, you're not wrong. Respect has to be earned. But, you know, when I heard that the other day, I was like, you're right. Respect doesn't have to be earned. And your views can even change, you know, as you grow or as you learn or as you just get older, you know, you can learn different things and have different information just like that, where, you know, you can realize that respect shouldn't have to be earned. We've made it that way, but it doesn't have to be. We should all just be respectful of each other and us as a human being.
1: I agree. Yeah. You know, and one of, one of the things that I'll, I'll just tack this on here is, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose the name right now, but I'll, I'll come up with it at some point. I was listening to a CEO speak and he was talking about the, the greatest fundamental Concept he's applied his entire life to find success in whatever that was in whatever way it was measured for that specific thing, right? But is to always look for information that disproves what he believes, that challenges his current belief on something, rather than looking for information that confirms it, that you know tells him he's doing a great job. So, so that was everything from you know the people that he would bring around him um, in his organization to just things in life about his own worldview. And he said, you know, I found that, uh, you know, my family famously has called me a flip-flopper, he said, because I've changed my views on many things uh, throughout the course of my life. But it's because I've constantly searched for new information that might challenge the current view I have of something, which allows me to make a better and more informed decision along the way, rather than, rather than just look for things that confirm exactly what I'm believing, which, by the way, you often find that there's, not a lot of information contradictory to your worldview that would change your mind. And that's fine. That's great. But every once in a while, there's that nugget that comes up that says, Ooh, maybe I should change course or maybe I should learn more here. Maybe I should consider more information. And I just thought that that was a, a really, uh, I think he called it being a learn it all, not a know it all. And that was oh, that's a re- fantastic. Yeah. Just a really great way to, to approach life in general, uh, and to, to ensure that you can learn from the lessons of others and not just have to <laughs> re re litigate your own li- lessons.
0: Tell me a little bit about your book Belonging Factor.
1: Yeah, all right. So, Belonging Factor it really did kind of happen by accident um as I was as I was starting to put together the the core of Rudiment Solutions, I was drawing on all of the lessons, and all of the activities, all of the concepts I was teaching throughout uh, the course of of my professional leadership life, mm-hmm. and many of those lessons were either learned from others or they were the result of a lot of trial and error, um, and some just peer research based fundamentals that got applied in some really creative ways. Right. So as I'm putting all this together and I'm sharing with with my one of my mentors about uh, taking this approach, he said, "You know, you know what you have here is you have a book." And I said, "It's really? I don't know about that. I feel like I have really good core." content for the, this company and he said no no i think you have a book i think your company you know you'll get more in the weeds and more tactical on all of these these items that you have here i think you can you can serve this in a book out to the world i said all right challenge accepted i'll do it and uh and so so really it it became this core understanding i didn't have the word belonging or or the title belonging factor to it but it it became this core understanding of these concepts that really do engender trust uh, empowered people, autonomous thinkers, diversity of thought and, and intellectual or cognitive diversity, the true like self-awareness and self-assessment that is so critical of a leader through a couple of stories I've already shared, I think illustrate that. And the idea of building community where people want to show up because there's aligned values and because they trust each other and they trust the mission and they trust their leadership. And so th- those were all the the core fundamentals in there. And I said, you know what this is? This is really about creating that sense of you know, I feel like I belong here. And so then that spurred a whole lot more research on, you know, the concepts of belonging, whether it's in academic spaces or in childhood development or adult uh, workspaces, you name it. And then was born really belonging factor, which kind of takes you through through stories and through some practical tools. The idea that building a team, a coalition of of people in any type of setting again whether it's it's churches or sports or business settings where you're bringing the best out of people because they feel alignment in their values they feel empowerment and they feel a strong sense of trust and that their voice matters and that it's heard and that they can they can give a dissenting opinion or idea and that that is okay and that they can fail and that's great as long as there's a plan to learn from and grow from it it just became really important then to start putting that out in the book and as i was doing some of the additional research for the book and doing some of the interviews that was kind of where the podcast was born out of as well i said man some of these interviews i think just belong not as as snippets of informing this book but really just out there for folks so that really that was the the genesis of putting this together and 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 creating the belonging factor book, which kind of led accidentally to the podcast. And it's been tremendous. The, the reception that the book has had, I have uh, just incredible opportunities to hear back from folks who are applying some of these really core basic principles in different ways or, or in ways that they hadn't thought of applying with their teams before. And uh, it, it is, it's a pretty quick read. I mean, it's, it's only, you know, maybe you, know, you could probably finish the book in four hours if, if you sat down and read straight through Right. Um, and that, that was deliberate to try and give the flavor of it, but then also give, give some reason to go back and highlight and, and dog ear the pages and circle stuff and, and really figure out what you want to do for your group that you are as an as a influencer, a leader, or a member of the team trying to find your sense of belonging or help build that for others around you.
0: Yeah. And that's super fantastic. That's, I mean, super important for teams to to feel like they belong with one another and, and trust one another, just like we were talking about earlier. So yeah, that's fantastic that you were able to do that. Yeah. Thanks. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate you opening up and sharing with us your story. I can't believe you didn't put that in the book, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that one, that one goes into a different book. We'll see. No, it's not. It's not yet in the the book that's being written right now. The ally factor, however, maybe it ends up there. We'll we'll see. Hmm. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. It's been great to get to chat with you and share all this with your listeners. I'd love to do. uh, I'd love to do something kind of kind of crazy. I'd love to give away a signed copy of the book to your listeners too.
0: (gasps) That would be fantastic. Yes, thank you. Okay, so how can they enter to do that?
1: The best way that I think to do this mm-hmm. is if you're listening to the episode, make sure that you share this episode on social media somewhere
0: mm-hmm.
1: using the hashtag belonging factor. And my team here will scour all the posts with belonging factor, a hashtag on it and we'll pick one and we'll reach out to you and get your details and send you a signed copy of the book. How's that sound?
0: That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much. That's awesome. It's funny you say that. (laughs) I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to do something like that. So that's fantastic that you just did that. Thank you. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yes. I can't wait. Do you have like a website in case anybody else wants to get a hold of maybe your company, like Rudiment Solutions or your Ally Cooperative?
1: Oh, yeah. It's, everything's online. The best way to, uh, to get to one place that, that goes to all of them, just hit me on LinkedIn, So Devin Halliday on LinkedIn, uh, H-A-L-L-I-D-A-Y, and you'll be able to, uh, to get to Rudiment Solutions' website. You'll be able to get to the book, The Belonging Factor, and the work we do there. All of it, all of it is right there on the LinkedIn. Great.
0: And I assume you'll provide us with updates on there as well for the Ally Factor.
1: Absolutely.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much again for meeting with me. I'm so happy that we were able to have this conversation and I really enjoyed it.
1: It's been great. Thanks, Kat.
0: If you like what you hear, please leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this right now. It will help me know that I am helping and need to keep going. Please also follow along on social media. You'll find us on Twitter and Instagram at the teachable soul or Facebook and LinkedIn. You can just search the teachable soul. If you'd like to be a guest on our show and share your own teachable moment, feel free to go to the website to schedule a time that works for you. Or you can also email me at the teachable soul at gmail.com. Thanks.